and we are at a pinnacle spot in history. But be a good cheer. Look at what the Word of God says when they were telling the church that they were given strict orders. You stop preaching this gospel message. Sound familiar? The church said, we'll worry about, we'll let God worry about that. And we're going to obey God. And I am encouraging you, God is speaking to us. The same instructions are to be given. There's not a plan B for the Lord. He's still in control. He knows what's happening. I don't know what may or may not happen. That's not for me to know. It's not for you to know. It's for God to know. What it is for us is to obey. And listen in verse number 24. And when they heard this, this instruction that they gave them to not preach and to not do this, they lifted their voices to God. And with one accord they said, O Lord, it is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and that all that is in them who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, thy servant, did say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. Their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. Now, hear me. I'm not, there is no evil in God. God is holy, he's just. But I tell you, in an unjust, unrighteous, sinful world, God will still have his way. He is not going to allow the world to thwart his purpose. You hear, that's what that scripture means. Doesn't mean that God is, that God is a God of evil and mayhem. It means in the midst of that, God's purpose will stand. His purpose will not be thwarted. All right. So now I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah. And let's get ready. Hold your Bible up. This book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Amen. Convinced. Living water changes everything one life at a time. We are going to be reading through a portion of Scripture that is so important in the history of the church. It is important first and foremost 
because this scripture was first directly fulfilled in Christ the Messiah doing the work and the will of God. So we, I, I want to make that statement because as you read this scripture, the power behind your purpose, you are going to see, as I've often said, that Jesus himself, the Son of God, whom we are a joint heir with, the scripture says, is the one that laid out the example, and he himself has been the first one that fulfilled this scripture and continues to be. But because we are joint heirs with him, his church is also fulfilling this scripture. And we have to grab hold of that today. We have to grab hold of it. The church was not created by God simply to do good deeds in the world. The church was not created to be the earth's caretaker. Hear your pastor. I am not going to be politically correct right now, but I will be biblically correct. God says we need to be good stewards of the earth. But we are worshiping the earth. We are making the created things more important than the creator. We are making those things of the world as if they were eternal in value and they're not. And that is the purpose of the church was never to be green. Now, does God want you to be wise and not wasteful? I understand all of that. But I am tired, righteously indignant about those who will cut themselves in half over a tree or a porpoise and kill their baby. The church needs to arise. The church needs to say the purpose of the church is still the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the church is still to preach the good news until he comes. And so with that in mind and with the fact that Jesus was the first one that fulfilled this scripture, let's read. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. I'll talk about that. To comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then 
they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will rise up the former devastations. And they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. May the Lord bless his word. As I said, as we read that scripture, that scripture was first and foremost fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, God's Son. He was the one who came. He stood there, and at baptism, the Spirit came on him, and by the way, it was in the fullness of complete perfection that the Son of God walked in the Spirit. Something that we have never seen and will never see because only one was holy and perfect. That's why this scripture first and foremost is fulfilled in Him. But I just have an absolute passion in my heart that is burning, that we understand the power behind our purpose. I talked about you having a purpose, but maybe you're here and you say, that's great, that's so wonderful. I have never accomplished anything in my life. Doesn't matter if I have a purpose. If you will understand, God's not called you just to exist in this life. God's not called you to be born, grow up, graduate, work a job for 40, 50 years, retire, and die. God's given you an eternal purpose, a purpose to be a part of Him and a part of what He wants to do for all eternity. It is not this life that is to be grasped. It is not the temporal that is to be exalted. It is the temporal that is passing away. It is the temporal that will soon be gone. But that which God has established will be forever. And he's giving you a purpose to be a part of that kingdom. Now that is significant. That means something. And not only is he giving you that purpose... He is then saying, I will fulfill it in you. Now you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to repeat it. You may have had someone in your lifetime that has been the most inspirational, the most uh, uh, exciting or, or the most, uh, what I want to say, important, that really poured into your life, that really made a difference, that maybe really had an impact in your life. And, and those people can be very precious in our lives. But there is a difference between those who can pour into you and do what they can to inspire you and God's what he's saying here. See, all of those who want to encourage you and inspire you and lift you up in your purpose, it's great. 
but they cannot do one thing. They cannot lift a finger to truly get inside and help you. Nothing. They can't. There's never been anybody who has ever, you know, I know you've heard him say, well, I'll be with you. And they, they mean that, but there's only so far they can go. But God's not like that. When he first says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. You need to understand this is not just semantics or not just syntax of words. When God says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, He means it. And that is the first thing I want to talk to you about is that you have an anointing. Jesus here Fulfilling the scripture saying the Lord God has anointed me. His spirit has come on me. Now I, here's where we sometimes get in this fight. Because when an anointing comes upon you, it's always for the purpose of God and the purpose of his kingdom. And sometimes I feel that we sometimes think that it's for us to decide what ought to happen on a temporal level in this world. Or what ought to be to our benefit, monetarily and physically. Guys, we've got to set our sights higher. We've got to get into God's kingdom. We've got to see that God's giving us the spirit, the power of his spirit to unlock the kingdom of heaven here for the glory of God until he comes. He says, you have an anointing. Now you say, well, wait a minute, pastor. It says here the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And it says, you said this was about Jesus. Yes, first and foremost, but bear with me. John, Jesus himself says in John 20, 21 and 22. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Each and every one of us, not just a few elite people. This is a call for his church. This is a call for the saints. This is a call for whosoever will. And it's that he has given you an anointing because his spirit is on you. The same spirit that was on Jesus is on you, hallelujah. And that purpose is not for you in any kind of an earthly way. It is for the kingdom of God and for his purpose. It is so that we can pull the net in for as many people that would come to Christ as possible. The apostle John confirms it. 1 John 20 and 27, he specifically says to the church, you have an anointing. He's not talking about a few elite leaders. He's talking about the church. 
He's talking about you and me. He's talking about whosoever has called on the name of the Lord. This is what I'm talking about. God is telling us, get our sights up. We've been, lift your sights. You have a heavenly calling. You have an anointing from the Holy One of God. It is not to be identified with the world or the workplace or whatever. You are a child of the Most High God. And you are filled with an anointing. That same anointing that was in Jesus. And Paul confirmed it. You heard me quote it already. Quoted it early in excitement. Romans 8, verse number 11. That if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Now, immediately we begin to think, as history proves, yeah, but, you know, things don't happen the way I think they should or the way that I pray. Well, stop praying what you believe and start asking for the will of God. Start praying that God would open up the kingdom of heaven. We've got to get our sights off us. It's not about us. It's about Him. I'm telling you, we get on page with Him, we'll see the Spirit of God move in a way we will never see. So, by the way, it's in the Old Testament. I didn't want to leave the Old Testament out either. One of my favorite scripture verses, it says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then, and even more in verse number 7, says this mountain will be removed with shouts. And I love this, I love this translation because this translation truly captures the fact that in Jesus this is fulfilled. To shouts, the mountain is removed to shouts of grace, Grace! Jesus moves the mountain. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. Hallelujah. Well, you not only have an anointing, it is to bring good news. We have the best news. The gospel is the best news that has ever been brought. Do you realize the need in the world for this? I mean, as you read this and you talk about those who are afflicted, there has never been a time in the world where you can see affliction everywhere. People are afflicted. People are in prison. Yes, some of them in physical prison, but they're in prison all over without being physically in prison. They're in prison to bondages. They're in prison in their mind. They're in prison in their emotions because this world has ravaged them. But there's hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope in His blood. There's power in the blood to break every fetter, to break every bondage in Jesus' name. Afflicted broken-hearted boy there are some people that are being broken-hearted in our country i hope you are spending time in prayer praying for those in blue 
they are in a time of being broken hearted because the very ones they've been called to serve are despising them. People are broken hearted. People are held captive. Held captive by all kinds of things. And yes, even held captive by demonic presence and demonic forces. And But praise the Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There are prisoners. There are those who are in mourning. And yes, the events of all we've seen in the last two months, I don't know about you, but it just seems like, man, I just get through reeling from one event only to wake up and find another event. It just seems like it comes in big waves. And everybody is a little bit on pins and needles because something is in the air that doesn't feel right. There are those who are mourning. And they're not just mourning, the, there are many who are mourning the loss of loved ones, but they're mourning because their spirit is just downcast. The gospel is the good news that lifts the heart. It is the only thing that will comfort the mourning, that will truly give true hope and encouragement to those. And then it says, for those who are in ashes, there are many around the world that are experiencing their life in ashes. But Jesus says, the good news is I'll give you a garland in place of it. it says there are those who are fainting. You know, the Bible says that literally in the last days that people's hearts will literally fail them because of what's happening. That there will literally be those who their heart is not strong enough for what's happening. But the good news, the good news, Matthew 28, 19, Mark 16, 15, Luke 24, 46 through 49. When Jesus left, he said, As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And the good news hasn't changed. That is to preach the fact that Jesus, because he was willing to come, because he was sinless, because he offered himself on the cross, there is freedom in Jesus' name. Paul confirms it in Romans chapter 1. Verse 16 is the one that we are most familiar with. I've quoted 15 through 17 up on the screen because it's uh, all part of that scripture. But it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time for those who are Christ followers to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that those who want to be politically correct will tell you, you cannot speak of Jesus but anywhere in these places. But you know what? It is still the power of God to save. And it's the only power of God that saves. Second Corinthians 5, 
18 through 20. I've never seen a more powerful verse that would give us a reason to believe that we are more than our jobs. We are more than just existing. We're not just someone without a purpose. And we have power behind this purpose. Again, let me talk about this. The power behind the good news is still that the Spirit of God lives in you. Jesus, when he was talking in Luke, we were talking about it in staff meeting this week, where those who were all religious and those who weren't, they were talking about, where's this kingdom? Show it to us. And Jesus finally gets so irritated, he says, you know, the kingdom of God is not going to come by your careful observation. For you're looking here, the kingdom of God is within you. Praise God! The kingdom of God is within you. No one can take it away. No one has the ability to snatch it from you. It's in you. He placed it there when you gave your heart to him. Hallelujah. That's the power of the gospel. Went back. <laughs> so in that scripture... It says you're an ambassador in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. It says, as if God is making his appeal through you. Capture that. When you go into wherever God has placed you in your ministry tomorrow, that's the attitude I want you to have. Don't go say, well, I'm going to my job. Get rid of it. You're going to your ministry. Because you've not been called to work an 8 to 5 or to work a truck driving or a secretarial or whatever. God, You're called to be an ambassador for Jesus. You have been called to preach the good news that those who are held captive would be set free, that prisoners would be released, that those who mourn would be given the, the crown of joy on their head. That's what we've been called to do. Oh, God may do it as you're working as a clerk in a grocery store, but that's the neat, powerful thing about the gospel. It comes in unassuming ways. Start tuning your ear to the eternal. Start tuning your ear to the eternal. I'm telling you, if you just let your flesh do what it wants, you'll never hear anything from the Spirit. You have to start saying, God, I'm going to train, I'm going to tune my ear to hear the Spirit, what you're speaking to me. I'm going to start praying, God, as I get up, don't let me go in and say, well, here I am. I'm going to do my job and go home. God, let me see what spiritually is happening around me. What is happening that needs to be of eternal impact? That's getting ready to preach the gospel. And God has called the church 
all of us to do that. Ah, this is my favorite. The term that is used in the Hebrew is emphatic. It means that it is impossible for it not to happen. When we are under his anointing by his spirit, and we are preaching, and we are sharing the good news, and you will. It is a natural thing that is going to occur. You cannot stop it from occurring. It's going to happen. It's going to happen just as you look throughout his word and see whether it was Daniel that they tried to shut up and God moved anyway, or whether it was whomever you look at in the Bible and God moved through, or whether it was the New Testament church. We just talked about one of those. There's so many. Paul, the apostle, John the Baptist, John the apostle, working, doing incredible things, not finished till God says, come home. And you know what? When God says, Brian Grant, come home, I don't want to stay here one second longer. And until then, I want to burn for his glory. But we need to understand that this is a emphatic expression. It's, and you will. It will happen. What? We will rebuild. We will rise up. We will repair. And immediately, yes, the, the children of Israel, so many times God has blessed them in, in physically rebuilding and in the rebuilding of their nation. And that in itself, in history, can be such a powerful powerful demonstration of God. Nowhere else in history has a people. Do you realize how small Israel is? This is a miracle. Yet God allowed that nation to come together just as he said. But what this is talking, get a hold of, is God is talking about you being a rebuilder of eternal things. He's talking about you rising up things from the devastations, from snatching them from the clutches of sin and Satan in the world to be with eternity with God. Praise the Lord. I've got two scripture verses down there. Exodus 20, 5 through 6 and Deuteronomy 5, 10. They talk about restoring generations. I thank God that I am one of those that God reached to, that when I said yes, there are generations being restored for God's glory. Because, see, these scripture verses that I've listed, they're the ones that talk about, and they're, uh, oftentimes, I don't know why this is, our human nature seems to be so consumed with always looking at the glass half full or empty instead of looking at what God's done 
And in these verses, you're going to read where God says, yes, that the, the sin and the, and the effects of uh, those that are lost in it will go to the third and fourth generation. And we can see that. But we stop there often and not read the rest where Jesus said, but those who serve me, I'll take it out to a thousand generations. Do you see the difference between the temporal and the eternal? Do you see the power of God moving there? Hallelujah. Yes, sin has its devastation, but there's nothing that can compare to the power of God. He'll not only save you, he'll save your family, he'll save it for generations. And I believe I'm here today speaking to you because of those who have been faithful to God. Because they refuse to give up. God is true to his word. Hallelujah. The desolations of many generations. You know, my father's father. I never knew him personally. But I know from family history and from my dear mom. Mom, it's so good to see you. I love you. Um, but from, from history that my father's father taught him some of the most wicked things at six and seven and eight years old. And he, of course, lived those right out. I'm, I, I don't know for a fact. I've been doing some family uh, studying, but it's very possible that my dad's dad had the same type of thing happen to him with his dad but I'm here to tell you God has restored that which uh, the enemy was causing to be in the third and fourth generation has now been broke by the power and the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ hallelujah So the power of God, the power of God behind your purpose. You not only have a purpose, there is power behind it for you to fulfill it. There's power behind it. I want to I get ready to close our service and to get ready for communion. I did communion at the end as I prayed this morning and was aware that we were going to be doing communion communion because of already the Lord stirring in my heart I just knew it was to be at the end and there's a couple of things I want us to focus on as we prepare for communion I want us to realize the fact that we are celebrating what has already happened for us. Something we need to be walking in right now. Something that needs to be happening right now. 
and that is when, when, we, when we partake of this, when we get ready and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm thanking you for your body which was bruised for me, for your blood that set me free. This anointing that we've read about in 61, this one that was on Jesus, is to be the same one that's on his church. We need to start walking in that power and that anointing. We need to start believing and saying, God, I'm setting my, my sights on eternal things. So before we get ready to partake in communion, I'm going to give the call. I don't want to ever assume if you're here and you have not yet made Jesus Christ your Savior, you're here and you've not yet called on the name of the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity.